All right. Well, happy Mother's Day. My name is Brian Asker, one of the pastors here. Uh, Sandy and I are married. And I know, like Sandy said, for some of you, Mother's Day is a day to celebrate. It's exciting. And uh, you, maybe you have your mother in town uh, or you have your kids in town. You get to see them. For others of you, obviously, Mother's Day is one of those days um, where it's a reminder of something that you don't have, uh, something that you're missing. Either you've lost your mom or your mom wasn't maybe all that you wanted or needed in your life, or, um, you know, you're trying to become a mom, and uh, there's some sadness around that. So I just want to acknowledge all of the emotions uh, that go into a day like uh, today uh, while still wishing you uh, a happy uh, Mother's Day. Well, for my wife, Sandy, and I, we became uh, parents in a whole new way when we adopted our youngest uh, son. And uh, we said yes to adoption in the spring of 2012. But it was another two and a half years before we finally got to meet him. And along the way, I think we ran into almost every roadblock that we could. Uh, we figured out all the ways to mess up uh, the adoption process. So for example, uh, some of them were completely out of our control. Every person who does, every family that does adoption has to do a home study where they bring in a social worker, they study your family and look to see, hey, hey, is this a safe family? Is this a family that can sort of do adoption? Well, in the middle of our home study, our social worker literally left the agency. And so we couldn't continue our you know, process, and then when they picked it up, the, the new person wanted to literally come back up and do the whole process over again, and we said, no, wait a second, they already visited us, you should be able to read the notes and write it up, um, anyway. And then uh, international adoption requires this thing called a dossier, it's this big long pack of information, it includes tons of different documents, birth certificates, criminal background, etc., etc. and along the way, you have to get everything put together within a six-month window. Three days after that six-month window, we got back the final piece of paperwork, which meant that I had to redo most of the paperwork again. And <clears throat> while, you know, Sandy carried our biological children, we decided that I would carry the load of the paperwork for the adoption. So that fell on me. I got to experience those things, and there were numerous times where I got frustrated along the way, dealing with all of these delays. And, and, you know, they said at the beginning, it probably should take about maybe 10 to 12 months to accomplish this. Well, it was two and a half years later where we finally were able to travel and meet our son. So I want you to think about, what about you? What are some of the things that you've experienced? What are some of those sorts of things where you wanted something, but it just took a really long time? It was difficult. You faced challenges along the way. Um, or maybe you never even got it. Well, today we're going to look at one woman's struggle to become a mother. Uh, if you want to open up your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is part of our May sermon series. We're going to be talking about influential. And since the creation of the world, God has called all of us to be co-creators and co-rulers of this world. So we partner with God. We're called to join God in his mission in creating and ruling this world in such a way that goodness prevails. And so for the month of May, we thought, what if we looked at four stories of women 
who changed our world, who were influential in our world. So I'm excited for this series. Let's jump in to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 10. In her, Hannah, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So we learn earlier in the passage that Hannah is one of two wives for Elkanah. And she's actually in competition. It uses the word rival to describe their relationship between these two women. And while polygamy wasn't overly common, it would happen sometimes when, in particular, the first wife was barren. And that's the case with Hannah. So she cannot give birth. And there's sort of this social stigma that sort of surrounds that for her. And she's really wrestling with that. And every year they would go to the temple to worship. And on this particular trip, as they're worshiping God, her rival provokes her to tears. And she breaks down and she makes a vow to God, which is this sort of voluntary promise that she makes. And the language that she's using here indicates that this is a special vow that's described in Numbers chapter 6. It's called the vow of a Nazarene, or the Nazarene vow of dedication. And what it was, it was a special vow to be dedicated to the Lord for a specific time period, and the person would refrain from cutting their hair, which would make it obvious to everyone else, and they would refrain from drinking any wine. But in this case, she makes it unique in the sense that she says, for the entire life, for his life, if I have this son. So she keeps on praying in verse 12. Eli, the priest, observes her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought, she's got to be drunk, and says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Now, it may be helpful to know that in ancient Near East culture, prayers were usually incantations. So for her to not be saying anything out loud would be sort of a like, well, that's kind of strange. And then worship was usually sacrifice. So she's doing neither of these things. She's neither praying out loud nor worshiping through sacrifice. She's pouring out her heart. And so I think it's important to notice that Hannah is so disturbed that she is either unable or she's unwilling to worship in sort of the normal way that somebody might worship. And I wonder if many of us can relate to that. We get to that point where we get that frustration and we literally can't pray or worship or live in a normal way. There's sort of a, the functional capacity is removed uh, for us. I remember for me the first time that I had a deficit for my work with InterVarsity, we raised our funds. And so I had been great for the first, I don't know, several years, uh, even having a surplus. The day that I found out that I had a deficit, I literally hit the floor. And I was unable to function in a normal capacity. 
all I could do at that point in time was cry out to God, God, help me. I don't know what to do. And I imagine in some ways she was, you know, times that by a hundred. She's been experiencing this every year where her rival literally is, you know, bringing her to tears when they would go to worship. And then you can imagine when she's down, she's on the floor, Eli comes to her and unjustly accuses her of drunkenness. But Hannah is gracious and her reply is, not so, my Lord, in verse 15, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And what I think is interesting here is that Eli's sons were wicked. They were so bad that I think everybody knew it. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we learn that they were scoundrels and that they had no regard for the Lord. So Hannah totally could have come back at him and said, speak for yourself. Look at your kids. They're wicked. Who are you to talk? You can't even raise your own kids to follow God. And I think when we're unjustly accused, it's easy for us to go on the attack. But Hannah saw fit to merely clear her name and leave it at that. So she responds graciously. And Eli responds with repentance. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. It says, early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah, her husband, made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And this is so cool. Samuel literally means the Lord hears. The Lord heard her prayers. And verse 28 tells us that Hannah follows through on her promise, her vow to give Samuel back to the Lord for his entire life. Samuel will go on to become one of the most significant people in the history of Israel. He was the last judge in Israel's history. He became a priest. He became a prophet. And he would establish Israel's monarchy. And he would anoint the first two kings of Israel. But this story is not about Samuel. It's about his mom. Hannah's faithfulness allowed her to be influential. It gave her extraordinary influence. Eli's response to her caused him to repent. And even in his old age, Eli is super old, and he's failed as a father. But when, when she brings Samuel back, he takes Samuel on as his own son. Talk about influence. 
Elkanah, her husband, is persuaded to give up a son, which was very valuable during that time. And Samuel will literally follow through for the rest of his life, fulfilling the promise that Hannah has given to the Lord, dedicating his life to the service of the Lord. And for you young moms out there, young dads, I think it's a good reminder that we have no idea who our children will become. But we have the opportunity to influence them and to direct direct them to the Lord. And for all of us, when we are facing great grief, when we are facing great trial, and we feel like we're not fulfilling the calling that we have on our life, where do we go? Where do you go when you're feeling that, in that place where you're literally, like I was, on the floor, or like Hannah, grieving, unable to worship and pray in the normal way? Hannah went straight to God in prayer. She cried out to God. She wept. She worshiped God. And that is ultimately what made her influential. And I love that God remembered her. And I want to look at her prayer in particular today. In her prayer, she begins by saying, Lord Almighty, she recognized God's great power. Lord Almighty, the word there actually means God of armies or God of all nations. And when we're praying, when we're in that place, can we stop and remember who God is and pray to God and remember the power that God has over the entire world? And stop trying to do things in our own power and let God do things in his power. So I want to ask you, what would it look like for you to recognize God's power, let go of things, and trust in God? Hannah did that. She trusted God. The second thing I want to look at in her prayer is that she literally makes a request of God. She requests that God provide a son for her. The thing that she longs for, the things that she's been picked on for, She calls on God to provide for her. And Philippians 4 uh, reminds us that we too can make our requests known to God. In fact, I think our longings reflect God's longings. The things that we long for reflect what God longs for. And as we make our requests, we can remember that Hannah didn't demand it. She asked for it. And for some of you here today, maybe you need to hear that you can be completely honest with God. You can cry. You can complain. You can even yell at God if you need to. God can take it. God is over all things. He has power over all things. And he can answer our, our requests. And remember... Samuel means God hears. I believe that God hears our prayers. 
Do you believe that God hears our prayers? Hannah's influence was directly tied to her willingness to trust God and believe that God would do something. So I want to invite this community, I want to invite you today to trust in God completely and to believe that God will and can do something in our church, in our lives. And I want to encourage you today to pray more diligently, to pray for the church as Hannah did. Pray that we can get the contract to head back over to Rosa Parks, open up some more space for people to join us. Pray that we'd be able to connect people to Jesus. We started this church so we could help connect people to Jesus. Pray that we would do that. Pray for the things in your life that you long for. And I want to encourage you to pray and believe that God will hear your prayers. I'm inspired by Jeff and Kathy Chambers who worship here at Crossview Rosa Parks. A number of years ago, uh, Jeff saw a need to protect football players from concussions. And he created a product that significantly reduces concussions. And then he heard God call, God's call. He was working at Minnesota State University, Mankato. He heard God's call to quit his job. Comfort, right? It's the easy thing. To leave that behind and to start a new company. And when you start the new company, right, give credit to God. And if you make any money, the money goes back to God, right? Just last week, uh, during our morning meeting, we meet uh, here all the people working on our service. And we spend some time in silence listening to the Lord. And then we share what we hear. and We share what's happening in our lives. And Jeff shared last week just some of the difficult things that they've been facing. And he shared how... Jeff and his wife, Kathy, just said, you know, we still feel called to continue doing this. And what I'm impressed most about, about both Jeff and Kathy isn't that they started the company. It's their faithfulness and trust in God. That God will provide. And their willingness to give it all back to God if it happens. If it takes off. And my prayer is that we too would learn to trust in God to put our faith in God, and to believe that God will hear us. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for our mothers who have given us life. We're grateful for a day today to honor them, but we also remember that for some of us, it's a day of grieving. We grieve the loss of our mother. We grieve the absence of our mother. We grieve the fact that we cannot become a mother. And there are all sorts of emotions surrounding today. But I pray that on this day, wherever we are, when we face grief, when we face trials, that we would remember that you remember us, that you love us, that you care about us. And would you help us to bring our requests to you, believing that you can and will do something. Amen.